electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the continued tech sell-off. Not today, though, but why one major market watcher says it's about to get worse. You're going to hear from him. We'll debate the call. As stocks remain volatile, joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone is the CEO of RES Asset Management, Courtney Gibson, the president of Loop Capital Markets, Josh Brown, Jim Leventhal. Nice to see everybody. Go to the wall. Shea, where are the highs of the day? Carl and the gang were just talking about stocks. Dow's good for 266, S&P up 1%, NASDAQ's up about one and three quarters. I guess, Josh, the, the big question is, can you believe anything on the screen today? Does, does the green make you think that we're going to get less volatile, that we have hit the bottom in some of these hardest hit sectors or not? Well, I, I, was, I was saying yesterday that one of the more encouraging signs midway through the morning was all the hammers that were showing up on Japanese candlestick charts, meaning there were stocks that had reached uh, very low levels, uh, but they were closing much closer to uh, the highs of the day. Even when you were looking at like volume weighted average price for some of the large cap stocks, uh, you could really see signs that the supply was running out. And that's why I think you got green on the screen today. Got a nice rotation going on, money coming out of the retailers that had rallied furiously. Um, and you're starting to see the ARC stocks look better and better. Uh, I'm looking at companies that are really trying to bottom, like Zoom, uh, but not all of them. So you still have disasters that are, that are in obvious downtrends, like Teladoc, for example. So I think the market is allowing some of those hard-hit stocks to bottom, but not all, and people are really paying attention to the differences between them. So I think that's healthy activity. Mm -hmm. Follow through in the home builders, also important, and tech in general uh, leading the market with interest rates hanging near the highs. So that whole story where if rates rise, tech is in trouble, it doesn't actually play out that way in real life. So I think on balance, the tone of the tape is nice. Uh, and I think we're getting amazing earnings reports, continue to get amazing earnings reports. So I'm not quite sure why there's as much fear uh, in the market right now as there seems to be. Uh, it, it doesn't really occur to me when I look at my names or the sectors that I follow uh, that that fear is necessarily warranted. So, Courtney, you must think the answer to my question at the top is, you know, of whether you can believe this move if you think it's near a bottom specifically in tech and the NASDAQ, you must think the answer is yes, because you you just bought Peloton back. A stock that's down 42% from its high, um, hasn't done much this month, but it's one of those stocks in the epicenter of concern, I think we can say. Tell me why you bought it back now. Well, let me for two seconds, Scott, just segment what you said. So um, I think we knew and I've talked about it with you and the team before uh, that we were going to see a little bit of a pullback. And that is OK. Volatility back in this market is OK. Discernment between names 
is okay. It's an active investor's dream if you do the work and you understand the securities in which you're buying, which is key. I bought Peloton back, uh, just a little bit of a story if you indulge me here. I loved my Peloton, I loved my tread. You also know I have three kids, my oldest is barely three. And so when that announcement came out, the first thing I did was pick up the phone and, and schedule my return. What happened that day, Scott, they said they could come and pick it up the next day. Now, we know they were having logistics issues as far as getting people Pelotons. The fact that I could return it so quickly said to me, no one else is doing this, Court. You're not having an issue because people are keeping these things and this stock is oversold. So it was at that moment when it dipped down below, call it 83 or so, that I jumped back into this name. It was, it was lower than where I liked it before and I, I love it at these levels. And I think you're gonna see some continuous blowout earnings as they, as they get their supply chain piece together. Um, and the stock mm. was just well oversold. Because this was it, not a, a stay at home stock at all. People are going to continue this. It's going to be a trend. And whether it's Peloton or any of the other kind of socialized equipment machines at home that are out there, um, that's not going to go away when people go back to the gym. And that stock, like I said, was oversold. Sure. But the, you know, the sales growth may slow. Uh, we're just going to have to wait and find out. What I was going to say to you is I and I specifically recall the day that you sold Peloton, and the reason you gave that day, and I can't remember when it was, six, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12, whatever, yeah. um, was the logistic yeah. issue. The logistics, that they were it having was. such a problem, you sold the stock and you came on this show and said that was the reason why. Yeah, it was. And um, you know, now I got back in, again, because of that recall issue and it being oversold, I think that the stock was well oversold. And I think, you know, again, once it peaks back over 100, which it will, um, maybe in that 110 range, maybe I get back out. This is a trade for me, but I do believe in the product itself. And I think that they have a tremendous following. The question is, will they continue to be the leader in it or not, which we shall see. So Jim Labenthal, you must think that the worst is over or close to it because you recently bought Twilio, a stock that's 32 percent off mm -hmm. of its 52 week high. It's down 15 percent month to date. You tell me. Here's here's what I'm going to tell you, Scott. From here to year end, I feel like we're going to have great gains across the board. Cyclicals, large cap tech, hyper growth. I think we'll have great gains. But for the next few weeks, I think we are at best range bound and there might even be a little bit of downside, 3%, 5%. Now here's why I say that, okay? The S&P 500 about a week and a half ago was 14% above its 200 day moving average. Here's what's likely to happen in the future is at some point the market, the S&P 500 is going to touch the 200 day moving average, which is now 10% lower. That does not mean that we're set for a 10% decline and I'm not making that call. What it means is we're likely to be range bound because there is still going to be buying because of low interest rates and liquidity flooding the market. But that 200 day moving average has to come up to somewhere close to where the S&P 500 is right now. If anyone thinks that the S&P 500 isn't going to touch the 200 day moving average ever again, they're fooling themselves. So figure out how it's going to happen. The most likely way is the next three, maybe four weeks. We're range bound. We're choppy. We're up 3%. We're down 3%. But once you get past that, you're set up for the next leg higher. So right now, pick hey, the judge. stocks you want to own. Twilio is one I want to own. Cyclicals, I, I have a good, healthy uh, position. You know that. And you know I love Apple, Qualcomm, Google, Microsoft. Well, right. So I'm not giving up on we'll, any sectors of the market. We'll get to those. We'll get to those in a sec. TRB, go ahead. 
I, I just want to say that I agree with Jim. Seasonally speaking, um, it, it would not be uh, it would not be abnormal at all to see the the rate of gains for the Dow and the S and P to moderate. The Nasdaq's already been on shaky ground pretty much all year. Uh, Nasdaq's probably going to flirt with negative on year at some point. So to echo Jim's point, like I wouldn't be shocked if we were in a consolidation period. Um, or, or maybe see something approaching down 10%. And I already gave you, on the show two weeks ago, I already gave you the trigger. There's going to be a continuation of what we saw yesterday. They're going to stop dancing around the idea of tapering, and they're going to start speaking about it more vociferously, and they should. Um, they should not be buying $40 billion worth of mortgage bonds with the home builders telling you they can't get enough people to build and they can't get enough lumber. They should stop stimulating the housing market immediately, or at least announce that so they're going to stop they're, immediately. They're, so that's going to be the thing that does it, in my view. And it's perfectly healthy. And all of us on the desk have lived through that. They did it in 13. Um, so I, I told you that would be the trigger. I still believe that will be the trigger. And so maybe if you're one of these people saying, all right, I feel like it's going to be down lower. I think I'll get another, a better shot at some of these stocks. Maybe that'll be the moment where, where you're right. So playing off the conversation so far, Kerry, y- you could be wholly positive on a lot of those ARC-like, Kathy Wood-like stocks, the Pelotons, which, by the way, you bought recently, too. You own Twilio, and Court is optimistic about where those stocks can go from here. They're not reopened plays, she said. They're just sort of part of our life plays. I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what I'm getting at. You can love all of those names, and they still can have a re-rating of where their stock prices can go. That's the bottom line of the conversation. You want to take issue with that? Because I'm looking at a Baird call today. They love Twilio. They have an outperform on it. But they cut their price target to 370 from 500. They love Zoom. They have it outperform. They cut their price target to 400 from 550. They love DocuSign. They have that at outperform too. They cut their target to 250 from 280, and they love Ring Central because they have it outperform, and they reiterate that today. Yet they cut their price target to $375 from 500. They can have all the love that everybody on this show has for some of these stocks, and that still doesn't mean that the price targets don't need to come down. Yeah, well, I'm not disagreeing with that, and I don't love all those ARK Invest stocks. I think there's a real distinction between a drumbeat we've heard now for months about how the tech sector has to come down and reopening and cyclical stocks need to go up, and For over six months, tech has been underperforming. So we can distinguish between names such as Apple, Google, Facebook, with massive amounts of earnings power, Microsoft, huge cash generation. These are not companies that are trading on fumes. They're not selling at 40 times sales with no earnings for five years. These are real big companies that dominate their worlds and are dominating our world. I mean, what we saw last year was because their adoption was accelerating. So I think that you can 
own those stocks because they are not going away. The tech wreck that everyone is predicting doesn't seem to be playing out today or yesterday because they got cheap enough. If you look at a chart mm -hmm. that Vin put together for me, it just compares some of the big tech with some of the reopening stocks. And you can see that over the last seven months, this is really since September, the P.E. of the big tech names has come down. Their earnings have accelerated. Those are earnings estimates from back in August to where they are today for 2021. You've seen this enormous jump in earnings estimates. The medium is 31 percent up for tech. The multiple is down 14 percent. And these stocks have, on average, gone up about 7 percent since then. Wow. And you compare that to the industrials and look at the same type of earnings growth, but tremendous P.E. expansion. And those stocks are up 62 percent. That group up 62 percent median. So you could make the case that the big tech are now the value trade. Those are the names Absolutely. that have been downplayed by the market by so many people who, you know, come on and they they're smart and talk about why cyclicals reopening reflation trade must happen. But they have overlooked where the valuation has gone on tech. When you mention the names Absolutely. such as you know, CrowdStrike or Trade Desk, MongoDB. I mean, these are great companies selling for very, very high and probably excessive valuations. We don't own them. We, you, mentioned Pel, uh, you mentioned Peloton and Twilio. We bought Pel Peloton when it was down from 160 to 104, and then we bought it again at 84 last week because it has a lot of earnings power. The same with Twilio. We have trimmed that stock four times now. Okay. And we still own some, but we're playing with house money because it's been such a tremendous stock for us <laughs> right. since we, we owned it uh, in the last you know year and a half. So uh, forgive me for, for, for cutting you off. I, I got to go to Elon Moy, uh, who has breaking news for us regarding uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies um, because Bitcoin's on the move and Elon's going to tell us why. Well, Scott, the White House had proposed broad new tax information reporting requirements, and the Treasury Department said today that would include not just cryptocurrencies, but also crypto asset exchange accounts and payment services, and for businesses that receive crypto assets of $10,000 or more. Now, the Treasury Department is also projecting that it could lose out on $7 trillion worth of unpaid taxes over the next decade. That's roughly 15% of taxes owed. That tax gap was $584 billion in 2019, according to Treasury estimates released today. The bulk of that money was misreporting from income from sources like capital gains, partnerships, family farms. The Biden administration proposing to spend $80 billion to beef up IRS enforcement, specifically of wealthy households and corporations. Treasury projects that would allow it to capture $700 billion in additional revenue this decade, as much as $1.6 trillion over the next decade. The White House also proposing those new tax reporting requirements and saying they're going to be needed because cryptocurrencies are going to be so important as a um, unit of exchange in the decades to come. Back over to you, Scott. All right. Uh, interesting news. Elon Moy, thank you very much for that. Courtney, it just makes me think of this Coinbase call today, uh, initiated outperform over at Wedbush. You just bought more yesterday. You had already owned it and you bought a little bit more yesterday. I don't know what you think about where, where you know, Bitcoin or cryptos are, are going from here, but it appears that, you know, there may end up being some sort of, of reckoning. To what degree, I don't know. 
But you've got China talking about what, what they are and, you know, the, the price of Bitcoin goes down. Elon Musk tweets this, that or the other thing and the price fluctuates. So wh- why don't you talk me through how you're thinking about the volatility around cryptocurrencies and your Coinbase buy? You know, it's really interesting, right? Coin, crypto in general is a newer asset class. For people that are comparing it to to gold or as a replacement for gold today, I think that's lunacy. But 10 years from now, who knows? I don't have a crystal ball. What I will tell you is that I am seeing a lot of interest on the institutional buyer side from the asset owners as well as asset managers balancing their portfolios with exposure to this. For me personally, a way to kind of hedge some of the volatility but also participate on the upside, not pick the winners and losers in the crypto space, that's why I bought Coinbase. Coinbase, though I do believe it is a user growth story and I wanna, you know, we can talk about that at a later date, that particular platform is an exchange, right? So when it's volatile, guess what? Coinbase is going to make money. Revenues have been skyrocketing. Coinbase was, um, I think, penalized because of what was going on with Bitcoin um, over this past week. And the valuation absolutely says this name's probably worth four to 450 bucks a share. And so if you wanna kind of play, if you will, in the crypto space and hedge your risk a little bit, um, Coinbase is a great opportunity to do that because you're making money on the exchange, on the flow uh, well. of cryptocurrency. And real quick, Scott, um, just to hit on Elon Moy's point, as regulations do begin to come in into this market, Coinbase is the best positioned to actually enable those regulations, monitor them, manage them in a in a a, a, um, a very orderly way. So pay attention to that. They will lead in this space, and they will take off from the competition. Um, as it comes unless forward. you think Coinbase's IPO was peak Coinbase and peak 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 Bitcoin. No, right? Because look at what Coinbase has done since since you know it went public. Look at where Bitcoin is from, well, from 60,000 like to barely holding on to 40,000. Yeah, but Scott, it's gone up and down, and we know that. And, I, and there's a statistic after statistic as it relates to, you know, over the course of the past 11 years, Bitcoin has seen more than 750 instances where the daily change was 5% or greater. 230 times 10%, 50 times 20%. This is a volatile asset class right now, right? I thought so it was a store of value, though, Court. If you want to play in it. Come on, everybody says this yeah, is value. What did right? I just say? I know, I know. <laughs> what did I'm, I just I'm say, though? Fun I, I know, I'm so I'm giving you the other your expense side. on that because that's, that's it's a store of value. <laughs> Right. That's what we hear from everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. And right. It potentially it's a store of will be long term. Let's yeah, do this. Long term. It could be. Absolutely. But today you're not in this name with the idea that it has found its footing yet. Long term, I think that crypto is here to stay. Who the winners and losers are, I can't tell you. But as an asset class, cryptocurrency is alive and well. OK. Well, Josh Brown, do you have a comment on this? You must. You must. Well, Coinbase, Coinbase acts like a falling knife because they didn't do an IPO. They did a direct listing. So I keep hearing people say since the mm-hmm. IPO, what's different about an IPO and a direct listing is that in a direct listing, insiders don't have to hold. That's the trade-off, okay? So we saw this with Spotify. We saw this with Slack. We saw this with Palantir. Companies that come public in a direct listing over the next couple of months, there's tons of insiders dumping stock. They have the right to. When you see an IPO, number one, it has institutional sponsorship right out of the gates. All the firms that appeared on on the filings as underwriters 
are all of a sudden covering the company with a buy and a strong buy. So that's one big difference. But the second one, the more important one, is that you don't have people dumping hundreds of millions of shares the next day, the next week. They have nine-month lockup, six-month lockup, 12-month, depending on the deal. Right. So look at the companies of Coinbase's size that have come, that have come to the markets in this format and understand you don't buy these things when they open up at a 200% premium uh, over their offering price. It's, it's suckers only. And you have to learn how this business works before you put money at risk. So let's, let's go back to where we were before Elon brought us our, our breaking news. And, you know, Kerry sort of left us with this idea that, that you know, maybe some of the volatility in tech is, is behind us, that it's still going to be the place to be. And I was thinking as she was saying that, that she's definitely not going to like our next guest. Because Jonathan Krinsky is with us now, and he is the chief market technician at him. Baycrest. You're not going to like what he has to say, though, because Jonathan Krinsky says that when he looks at the NASDAQ, welcome, Jonathan, it's good to have you back. NASDAQ 100 continues to threaten key levels, and although it defended the uptrend line on Wednesday, quote, we think it's only a matter of time before it gives way. So you think that tech has more selling to go. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Good to be here. Uh, you know, so look, we've been on pretty consistently with you the last uh, six weeks or so. And the S&P, let's start with the S&P, first of all. It's, you know, it's basically flat since mid-April. And, you know, we've had this churn. And when you have a day like today, everything feels great. It feels like we're, you know, maybe going to break out to the upside. But when you have a day like earlier this week, it feels awful. And the reality is, over, the, over those last six weeks, the NASDAQ 100 has actually been, been weakening. It's down 5 or 6%, even though the S&P is flat. And, yeah, when we look at kind of the, the uptrend of the NASDAQ over the last year, um, you know, it continues to kind of hold that uptrend. But each time, it's kind of coming back to that trend at a, at a sooner and sooner rate. So, you know, we, we tested it um, last week, and then we came back yesterday. So, you know, when you start to see things um, test support quicker and quicker and more often, it usually means that they're becoming more vulnerable to breaking. So, you know, again, today, today feels pretty good um, on the index level, but breath is a bit lackluster. We're, we're barely positive on the, on the NYSE. Um, and when you kind of look at some of the volume profiles as well uh, on the indices, they're just ind- indicative of more distribution as opposed to accumulation. So let, let, let me ask you this, out of uh, sort of uh, technical speak, if you will, um, what does that mean? How much more selling needs to happen in the NASDAQ 100 before you start looking at it and saying, you know what, I think we are actually uh, at least close to, if not bottomed, at least close? Well, it's always hard to, to give absolute percentages until you're there. You know, typically we, we like to see the action and see what the internals look like, what some of the what some of the sentiment figures look like. But, you know, I, I think the 208 test, you guys have been talking about that earlier. I think that certainly makes sense. Um, you know, as far as the S&P, we've kind of had that 3950 level as a downside target. We keep, you know, getting close to 4,000 and bouncing, but we still think ultimately, you'll, you know, you will get some sort of shakeout that gives you a bigger capitulatory indication. Um, you know, you're talking about crypto yesterday. You know, that certainly felt like a bit of, of a little bit of a flush, but um, you know, I, I, we just think you haven't seen seen enough capitulation, and you're still just in this trading range. You're still just churning. Um, you, you know, so you're not, you're just not getting rewarded, uh, on the upside for, you know, for the risk you're taking in our view. Josh, you want to, you want to take issue with, with what Krinsky is saying here? I mean, I know you follow his research closely. It, it doesn't sound like that 
forecast, if you want to call it that, meshes with your own? Actually, no, I... I guess the way the, the the way I would the way I would phrase it is that I just accept uh, the possibility of what John's talking about coming to pass. But John John would tell you that we could have the rest of this week's worth of price action if it's looking more like today. Then he could ha- absolutely change his view. In fact, he would have to, as somebody who's following trend and and being disciplined and respecting price. So I think that John would point out, and I want to make this point, there have been other times where we've seen a lot of the signs that John is seeing, but then they've reversed themselves. So part of the discipline of being technically oriented in the way that you trade or the way that you invest is that you have to be able to change your mind. So I'd love to hear John just confirm that for people so that they understand he's going by what's happening and what's happening could shift and then he would change his view. It's different well, than an course. economist or of, a macro no, expert who says, I'm bearish, and then tries to fit all the data to that view. Of, of course, but Jonathan, you'd be the first to say that you don't think we're necessarily close to that point. One day of fine-looking trading in the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 withstanding. Yeah, I mean, look, we're, you know, there's things to look at besides just the price action on the on the index level and if you look at you know internals and breadth um you know percent of stocks above the 50 day on the s&p mid-april we were up around 90 percent or now down to 60 percent um nasdaq is is closer to 30 or 35 percent so yeah i think the things that would get us to change that view would, would obviously one be um you know some some closes above resistance which on the s&p is kind of around that 4200 level um, and, and an improvement in breadth overall. You know, look, we, we also think there's this underlying rotation that's been happening and been pretty prevalent this year is, is, the, is the growth of value rotation. Um, and we think that's a theme that you want to continue to express throughout the year. Um, it's just the fact of growth's weighting in the S&P is so large that, um, you know, if, if growth continues to, to churn or struggle, it's going to make it difficult for the overall market to move up. But, you know, we had a 90% down day yesterday on the open. That's not enough capitulation short term for you? You, you want to see that happen on multiple days? Or like, well, what would look, tell look, you look, that it, people got scared enough? Yeah, we, we had a very similar price action on May, on May 11th where you, you opened down. Um, you know, hard on the open, rallied all day, and then you gave it all back. So clearly, we're, we're not seeing the same same action today. We're seeing some nice follow through in the upside. Um, but again, there's you know we've seen days like this before, and the Nas, like I said, the Nasdaq is uh, you know is down five or six percent over the last six weeks. Um, so to us, it just still feels like this internal churn. You know, look, we could have seen the lows yesterday. No, obviously, nobody knows, but we think. Um, you know, it just wasn't quite enough uh, enough capitulation overall for All us right. to, to really okay. think we the low. Appreciate you being with us once again. We're going to see what happens, Thanks, and I know uh, we will talk to you again soon, uh, as we usually do. Jonathan Krinsky, Baycrest. Ford shares, they're higher. The automaker unveiling its new electric truck. Elon Musk is even weighing in. We'll talk about that next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. 
which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. International calls are growing for a ceasefire between Israeli and Hamas forces. With the, death, with the death toll well above 200 just in Gaza, the U.N. Security General says that the violence must stop. The fighting must stop immediately. I appeal to all parties to cease hostilities now. And I reiterate my call on all sides for an immediate ceasefire. The hostilities have caused serious damage to vital civilian infrastructure in Gaza, including roads and electricity lines, contributing to a humanitarian emergency. And when will the two sides agree to stop fighting? Well, get the latest on the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. U.S. land borders with Canada and Mexico will remain closed to non-essential travel through at least June 21st. This despite increasing calls in northern U.S. border states to open the borders. The restrictions were first imposed in March of last year. And the BBC says that one of its reporters used, quote, deceitful methods to persuade Princess Diana to give him an interview back in 1995. The BBC says that it cannot turn back the clock, but it is making a full and unconditional apology. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right. Appreciate that, Rahel. Thank you. All right, Court, we talked about some of your stocks. We're going to talk about another one. ExxonMobil, XOM. You sold it. Tell us why. I did. So, you know, my dear friend Josh, or as you called him, TRB for his, his Twitter handle, he talked about discipline. And so whether you're a technical disciplinarian or whether you're actually looking at valuations and thinking that stocks are fairly valued. I had a price target of 62 on Exxon. I set it and forget it, and I sold it. Now, to be fully transparent, I do believe that Exxon is, is one of the few energy companies that is really trying to um, pivot their stance. And I think from a climate change and environmental perspective, as much as they can, right? Um, but ultimately, it's just not a name that I, I wanted to continue to play in and made a little bit of money, hit my price target, and I was out. Okay. No more uh, complicated than that, Scott. I, I, I hear you. Uh, it, it is a good segue into our next conversation, which is about Ford, as we said, making a big bet on electric. And the shares are higher today. We can show you the video, too. They unveiled their new electric F-150 Lightning pickup. There it is. It's pretty sweet. Elon Musk likes it, too, apparently. He says congrats to Ford on embracing an electric future. That was his tweet. So we're going to play that up um, a little bit. Farmer Jim, 
You own GM, you like GM, you like it better than Ford. GM's ahead of Ford and EVs, but everybody loves the job that Farley's doing at Ford and what they have going on too. Can you like both of these stocks or does it have to be one or the other? It doesn't have to be one or the other. I I actually believe that GM is in a better position, but you can own Ford. Let me make that clear. Um, What this is telling you, first off, I don't think we should be congratulating Ford for this. They need to do this. All right. Everybody's doing this. Tesla is out there. GM is out there. Uh, Volkswagen is out there. This is this is the ticket for competition for the next decade. Um, But what this tells us is that if these startup SPACs, these Fiskers and Nikola, you know, they are going to have a very hard time competing because of the economies of scale that a Ford, that a GM, that a Volkswagen has. So if you're in those startup SPACs, you've really got to question how those guys are going to compete. This is a very economical model, this electric uh, F-150. Very economical model. What I do like, by the way, is that Ford is focused on this F-150. GM is focused on SUVs and Hummers. Uh, and Cadillac. So, you know, there's no, they're not really going head to head. That's a smart way to segment the market. But I like them both. I prefer GM, and that's why I'm in GM. The reason to prefer GM is the autonomous vehicle unit, by the way. Okay. Josh Brown, you also prefer General Motors over Ford. Well, as a long term investment, I, I, I like GM better, but technically, Ford is a better setup. So, uh, Ford is snapping a downtrend that's been in place since the winter of 2013. Uh, that's a very long time for a stock to be uh, gradually losing value uh, and selling off and, and have that pattern of lower highs. But that is now over. Uh, I don't think there's any real resistance here until at least 16. Uh, so I think this stock in the near term probably looks better as a trade than GM. Um, but there's no reason why both can't work. Uh, This is not a a winner-take-all market, the automotive market. So uh, I think Jim will make money. I think I'll make money. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll high-five or something. (laughs) All right. Maybe that's the high of the day. I don't know how to end that whole sentence (laughs) that I said. I I don't know if we're having trouble with the intraday chart or or not in the the back, but it's a pretty good day uh, for shares of Ford. I think that's the high of the day, as we just saw. Uh, a little bit off that, actually. It's uh, still uh, it's just shy of a 2% gain. All right, we had a double upgrade today for one stock that's been beaten up recently. One of our experts owns it, too. We're going to debate that in our call of the day. Plus, next week, do not miss CNBC Evolve. Innovations in cybersecurity featuring conversations with top security experts. It's hosted by our own Eamon Javers. You can register now at cnbcevents.com slash evolvecyber. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. A couple of interesting research calls today. We'll call them our calls of the day. Viacom CBS double upgraded at Bank of America. The analysts there citing that it's a potential takeout target with premium assets, especially after the news we got earlier in the week with the big media deal. Farmer Jim, you own Viacom CBS. Do you own it now for a deal? 
Well, I, I own it on the merits of the company actually standing alone, Scott. Um, now, at $27 billion, it could be taken over. <clears throat> there is one big impediment, and that's Sherry Redstone. Um, she's not somebody who's likely to go out cheap. Now, Apple could make some over-the-top crazy bid or somebody of that size. Netflix could do it. Um, but it ain't going to be cheap. Sherry's a tough, tough competitor. She's not going to give this crown jewel up easily. Here's one thing I want to point out, though. Go ahead. If you're in the stock like me, you don't have to be in it for takeout. They've got 36 million streaming subscribers. They've got 50 million at Pluto TV. They've got throw weight enough on their own to go it alone. Okay. Chipotle upgraded over at UBS. That is to a buy. I think Joe Terranova still owns that. Uh, price target to 1700 from 1575 I got nobody on the desk today that owns it. However, Josh is in Starbucks and Shake Shack. Jim, you've got Starbucks. You don't like Chipotle. Courtney owns Darden Restaurants. Court, why not Chipotle? You don't really want me to answer that. How about I just tell you there's just another <laughs> number of companies that you can buy, diversified in the restaurant space, leaders, solid management teams, solid balance sheet. Um, I don't, you know, whether it's Darden, yes, talking my own book, but I think that's what you guys want us to do on here. Um, or Cake with Cheesecake Factory. Uh, Shake Shack, uh, Josh has been talking about forever and a day. Chipotle is just not my, uh, not my thing. Okay. Carrie, no Chipotle for you either? No, it's just a really high stock. You know, it must be also in electric vehicles because it seems to trade that way. And I just can't justify the price. So, uh, you know, Starbucks is the name we've owned in the past. We don't own any of the restaurant stocks now. And, you know, I think uh, they've been great stocks. Chipotle has been phenomenal since they ran into the problem with, you know, bacteria in the lettuce or whatever. And, um, you know, good for the shareholders, but I, there's no way that we could buy it and, and be able to justify the valuation here. Well, you justified Twilio. Hey, Judge, this analyst, this, this <laughs> analyst has been uh, We're coming back bearish to on Chipotle. Yeah. I, I, I would just say, like, this analyst has been at a neutral for almost two years, and he was at a sell rating the entire two years before that. This stock has been compounding at 23% a year while this guy's been telling people to avoid the stock. So, uh, dude is suspect. Yeah. I'm not listening to him. Um, I, 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 think that, I, I think that you want to wait. This is another stock that had a huge run and mm -hmm. then for the last six months has been in an obvious downtrend. Okay. So I think you want to wait to see that that's been resolved. Okay. Back, back to you, Carrie, right? See, I, lo I love when you guys do that. You're like, oh, God, that valuation's just in the clouds. I could never own that. And then I remember to myself, I'm like, wait a minute, but we just talked about Twilio earlier in the show, which... Hey, 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 Carrie's investing in the future, Scott. No, you leave her alone. Carrie, you seem to have no problem <laughs> yeah, with the Twilios of the world. <laughs> well, as I said before, we have sold Twilio four times over the past year. You know, we have, uh, meaning we have mm -hmm. cut our position back because it had been such a phenomenal winner for us. And there, there's no way that you can compare a restaurant company, you know, fast food Mexico, no matter how good it is with the kind of business that Twilio is, which, you know, started off giving you a notification that, you know, your Delta flight was leaving and then there were no Delta flights and they went into every other vertical in the world. From, you know, now you can go into the waiting room at your dentist or now it's time to be able to sort of pick up something at this store because they had to shift 
dramatically, and they were able to do it. And it's a company that is going to be making a lot of money at extremely high margins, which is not what you do when you're selling, you know, tacos and burritos. I mean, forgive me, but it's it's a really <laughs> high cost business. <laughs> I know. Just, you didn't just, have to go into that whole thing. I was margins. just having a little fun there, but that's that's OK. We appreciate <laughs> Thank we appreciate you. it. Thank you very much. All right. As we go to break, take a look at Oatly. The shares, there they are. They're up almost 30% on the public debut today. We're back in two minutes. All right, pretty good bounce back for stocks. Oatly getting its own bounce today on its first day as a public company. The oat milk brand, backed by a number of A-list celebrities, including Oprah. Our Leslie Picker is following the money, as she always does. So, so far, so good. So far, so good. Timing is everything, especially as it pertains to an IPO. This is a company that's not new. It was founded back in the early 90s, uh, but it's seeing tremendous growth right now. It's hitting all sorts of trends with regard to ESG, with millennials, with vegans. And and because of that, their sales were able to more than double last year. Uh, And there's you know, they've got all of these different tailwinds, such as partnerships with Starbucks and other independent coffee makers. Uh, they're in retailers, uh, much more prevalent in retailers, especially here in the U.S. They've got expansion plans for Asia, expansion plans for products. As a result, you see what happens with their stock price today, up 32 percent right now uh, in a market, an IPO market that's just been very, very uh, difficult in recent weeks. It is really it's an incredibly popular product. Just, you know, anecdotally Mm -hmm. going into my local coffee place and a sign literally in the store that says we can't get Oatly. And they blame it on the partnership with Starbucks and some of the other bigger retail partners. But it's tremendously popular if anecdotal evidence tells you anything. Yeah, that actually happened to me too, Scott, a couple weeks ago um, because I'm a big fan of oat milk. And they said that they they can no longer have oat milk because they can't keep it stocked anymore due to uh, the fact that now it's got this partnership with Starbucks and so Mm. they're pursuing other options. But you're right. Very, very popular. It tastes good. And, it, you know, they have this whole kind of feel good idea as well. The fact that um, supposedly non-dairy milk is better for the environment. So that's another uh, benefit for for Oatly today. Well, another the mom and pops are clapping back. The big guys. They are. Get their oatly. Sure are. Let's, thanks, <laughs> Leslie Picker. Ask Halftime is coming up next. Send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. All right, Josh, first one to you. Video. Let's watch. Hey, guys. James here calling from Poland. Uh, I had a question about Snowflake. Obviously, the valuation is still rich, but it's come down a lot from its highs. Uh, what do you guys think about it here? Thanks. All right. Appreciate the question. Thank you very much. Josh Brown, answer. Look, it's a it's a great company. They're going to report earnings next week. Analysts are looking for 100 percent growth year over year. There's no denying that this is going to be an important company. Uh, But I don't know that the valuation has come down uh, that much. It's gone from 140 times sales to 107 times sales. It is in a market filled with egregiously overvalued uh, stocks. It is at the bleeding edge of that to the upside. So I still can't quite get comfortable uh, with where it's trading, but I am rooting for the company. And uh, hopefully there will be a better entry at some point okay. that people like me can get in. All right. Good stuff. Now a video question for Loop Capitals, Courtney Gibson. Hi, JB from Oklahoma City. Question on DocuSign. They had a fantastic quarter, excellent projection. 
still the stocks are stock has tanked please share your thoughts thanks all right thank you for the question court yeah that that tanking is a buying opportunity i think very similarly to many of the other quote unquote stay at home stocks and when we return to office DocuSign was transformative. I think they obviously captured a large portion of the market during this COVID period, and companies will continue to utilize DocuSign, and they will continue to see growth with their customer base. I would be in it, stay in it, and buy it if you're not in it. Nothing easier than doing it digitally rather than having to go somewhere. I hear you on that. Jim Labenthal, (laughs) you are up now from Barbara in Virginia. Qualcomm reported great results, and the chip shortage is growing. Do you still think that the stock will rebound around the end of the year. What do you think? Uh, yes, Barbara, very much so I do. Like you, I'm disappointed that the last six months have seen the share price decline. But you have to remember that two years, over the last two years, the stock's up 100%, including the last six months. Trades at a price-to-earnings multiple of 17, a peg ratio below one, which is crazy. The earnings and the growth in the earnings are going to be fabulous for the foreseeable future. This is just a consolidation phase right now. Give me 25 seconds on Cisco, Jim, before I go to break. No, I was going to make it my final trade. I'll do something later. Oh, look at the right, stock later. rally no, 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 after no, no, being no, no, down five no. oh, percent. Right, hold, hold it, hold it, hold it. All right, I didn't know you were going to do that. Okay, <laughs> we'll just leave the tease out there. Then we'll be right back. All right, final trades. My man, the farmer. So Cisco was as low as fifty <laughs> bucks, right? It's had a nice little move here intraday. Uh, give me your thoughts. Yeah. W- Well, it was even lower last night. It was down 6% in the aftermarket. When you see a stock rally from that far down to be green on the day, that's a huge tell. This stock is going higher. The margin pressures, which is what knocked it after hours, are clearly transient. That's what the market's saying. Tell me, stop me if you've heard that before, that inflation is going to be transient. (laughs) But regardless, uh, Cisco's going higher from here. Okay, Kerry, got five seconds. Uh, CRM, it's been an underperformer. The market's punished it, and COVID has helped the company. So it's the dominant one, and we think it's a good buy right here. Okay. That felt like 10, but that's okay. Court? Alibaba, I think the valuation is extremely compelling here, and this is one of the absolute best plays on China consumer growth. All right. Josh Brown, just a name, please. NVIDIA. All right. Good stuff, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.